there was all these rules in the shop, like you couldn't put script in a banner, or you had to draw flames a certain way, or you'd get fired. And then I got tattooed by Ed Hardy, and it changed my life. It's better to just listen and talk sometimes, as I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart Robson used to tell me if you eat enough shit, eventually you poop out a dime. <laughs> I think art should be created from your imagination. My name is Steph Bastian. In my 10 years on the road, I've met many unique characters in the tattoo business, and they all have one thing in common, incredible stories. Stories of past times, personal growth, priceless experience, and of course, bizarre happenings. I want to share those stories with you. This is Tattoo Tales. So let's start from the very, very start. Can you remember the very first tattoo you ever seen in your life, even if you didn't know what it was? What's your first memory of a tattoo? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember vividly. Well, I say vividly. I was six, uh, six years old. I was in a McDonald's with my parents. And I remember there was this guy in line. And I remember, you know, in my six-year-old mind, he was covered. Like, I, I, I picture him having a bodysuit, but I, he probably only had a few tattoos on his arms. But I still remember he had, like, you know, like muscles with veins sticking out of them, <laughs> yeah. tattoos, and it just looked so cool. And I remember thinking like, yo, I want that. I want to, I want to, I want the tattoos. I should have thought about the muscles part, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, I, I was like, yo, I want to have whatever that is. My parents were like, oh, it's a tattoo. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. My mom, she just, you know, for the next, I don't know. I mean, she died when I was 15, but I talked about getting tattoos probably all the time until she died. And she was always like, there are needles. It's going to hurt. You're going to cry. You're, you know, this and that. And um, little did she know I did get tattooed before she passed. And I wanted to tell her so bad, like it wasn't that bad. But, um, you know, 15 years old, you're, 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 you're keeping secrets, right? So where did you get it? I got one on my ankle. Uh, was the- it in a shop or? Yeah, uh, no, my teacher at the time was tattooing at his house. He was a bit older than me. He was like the guy in my neighborhood, skateboard, you know, punk rock guy. Always looked up to him since I was a little kid. I, I actually, I, I met him for the first time when I was six, and I always thought he was the coolest person alive. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I got it in his, in his uh, kitchen. And I remember like, me and my brothers, we were going skateboarding that day, and, and they were like, you're not going to be able to walk. You're not. <laughs> I remember <laughs> it, man. It was so scary and cool, you know? And uh, then you get, get it, and you're like, ah, it hurts, but it's not the end of the world. And then you feel like you're a fucking Superman for a few days afterwards, you Especially know? Especially at that age, because, like, when I, when I go, well, me and my friend locked in ourselves in his bathroom and, and have poked, like, little kanjis at 13, you know, with China Ink and Shiva was so small. And then I remember that we saw these older guys, which are like, not the bad guys, because not necessarily too bad, like not on the criminal side, but still like troublemakers, you know, getting in fights all the time. So we would see, we would know these guys from the place where we go play soccer and stuff. And one of them, one day come with this black and gray fantasy dragon. And we're like, what the fuck is that? It's like, oh, you know, I got it from this guy. So funny enough, because it's like a recurring thing in, in, in my life. One day my friend brings home a copy of Tattoo Life. And on the cover, there is this guy, which his name is Maurizio Fiorini. I'm going to send you a picture because this guy was the best. It was one of the oldest, now he passed, one of the oldest tattooers in Italy, uh, yeah. living a few streets down where I used, where I grew up. Oh, and he sure. was on the cover, right? And we're like, oh, we know this guy because I used to see him when I was a kid in the, at, the, at the bar, whatever, the cafe. And then, uh, a coincidence, this guy with the dragon got it from this dude. His name was uh, Moreno Bisoni. Now, now he passed as well. He apprentice under Maurizio and he was tattooing at home so we're like fuck man we gotta get this so yeah. at 15 we're all like yeah 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 but then none of my friends get it so I get this like tribal here at his house when I was 15 and you know at least in Italy because there was no such a culture you're 15 and I, I did hide it from my parents for three years yeah. and in school in high school you were 
that shit was cool, man, because nobody had a tattoo at 15, you know? So like, yeah, and we're, oh, let me see your tattoo, let me see your tattoo. Yeah. And uh, the crazy thing, I was talking the other day with, I was interviewing uh, Robert Ryan, and we were talking about the fact that the crazy thing with tattoos is that there is something ingrained in us, some, some shit in our DNA that comes from whatever, that we are attracted to that somehow. You know, tattoo has such a raw power that you see kids, all kids love those like sticker things. They love it the, to decorate themselves, you know? And it's like, what is that? Like a subconscious magic that we, we carry, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the appeal is like trying to keep that feeling that you had when you were little forever. And, and that's like a subconscious um, motivation with tattooing because yeah you're right it's that weird curiosity and magic that you, you see and get from it so yeah you know you saying that just made me think about like movies and shit I saw as a little kid like uh, Escape from New York with his tattoo the snake tattoo and yeah not Prince Gaines Conan the Barbarian when the, the dude had all the paint but it looked like tattoos you know yeah, yeah. yeah I was like fuck that's it man that's the shit it's funny because like you know you can be three years old and they see a tattoo and they're like, oh, and they need to touch it and see. Like, there is something there. Yeah. And uh, so where, where did you go from there? So you got your first tattoo. Yeah. And then? Uh, man. Um, How did you end up in this? Well, man, I really wanted to do it. And, uh, but I, I had a lot of uh, really high regard for my teacher. Um, at the time he was just my friend. Right. And I always thought going to his shop cause eventually he opened a shop. I was getting tattoos, tattooing me underage. I don't know. I don't know why he did. Like, I guess he just knew I would do it myself. And, uh, I always felt like it would be really rude of me to tell him I wanted to tattoo <laughs> because I thought he's really dedicated so much to it. And it felt like it would be like strange for me to be like, Hey, I want to do what you're doing. Like yeah. what, what, me that right. So I always thought, naively maybe, I don't know, but I thought like, okay, if he thinks I should be a tattooer, he'll tell me. Looking back, that's kind of dumb. You've got to be proactive in your situation. But um, basically, like I, when he had his shop, I was there every day just as a friend or a customer or something. I'd stop by and be like, hey, you guys want something from the store or whatever, you know? Long story short, him and I, we were, we were like talking about traveling the world. I, and I was saying how I really wanted to get out and see the world. When my mom died, she had always talked about wanting to do traveling and seeing stuff. And she had never been anywhere and never made it happen. And then she died out of nowhere. And it's like, yo, you know, you never know when you're going to go. And if you don't do what you want to do, you're really wasting your life. And um, talking to him about this and and he's like, well, hey, you know, you don't have an education and you don't come from money. You don't have any money. Only way you're going to travel is to be a merchant mariner or a tattooer, you know. And that was the moment I finally told him. I was like, well, I always wanted to tattoo. And he looked at me. He was like, really? <laughs> I had no idea. He was like, oh, OK. He's like, I'll sell you some equipment for 100 bucks. I was like, oh, fuck. OK, cool. Just then, like that. Yeah. And then it just fucking happened, man. I mean, I got the equipment and I sit. I stared at it for like a month and didn't do anything, you know, So I was just like, fuck, what do I do now? And then then I did a couple of tattoos and they're so terrible and so fucking, you know, because I, I think naively I would get tattooed and think I can do this. You know, I, I can I can do this. And then when I finally was able to, man, I, I really couldn't, <laughs> you know, I, it wasn't like he, you know, he's my teacher, but he didn't stand over me going, you got to do this and you got to do this. Like basically, um he, he came in the room on my first tattoo I was doing, and he said, okay, I'm going to show you how to set up your machine. I'm going to show you once, and that's it. <laughs> so better remember. And that was it. And then if I was doing a tattoo, he'd walk in, and he'd go, he'd either look at it and then walk out of the room, which meant it was terrible, or he'd walk, look at it and go, eh, and then walk out of the room, which meant you're doing okay. <laughs> that was the extent of him telling me anything, really. But then he would we would just have conversations about stuff and he would talk about all kinds of things that I would learn from, but I'd really have to be paying attention. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't like a direct way of telling you something. It was just, you got to learn by listening and doing and whatever. And, and it was really, in the end, it was cool, man. But I mean, I was only there for a little while and then I, I moved away. I mean, there's so many like leaving and moving and going. What was that? That was in Michigan where I grew up. And then, uh, yeah, I moved to Ohio to work with this guy, Squirrely, who was um, 
he was squirrely. He was like this biker guy. I met him in LA at that first convention I went to. He was a pretty crazy dude. He, he used to be like a president of some motorcycle club. And he was like some like ex um, junkie guy. And he would get these dudes that were in his like narcotics anonymous thing to kind of be his helpers or whatever. And man, he treated them fucking crazy, dude. Like <laughs> when I met him in LA, he drove from Ohio to LA, which would be like maybe driving from Rome to fucking Stockholm, maybe even farther. And uh, he had this guy that was his helper that rode in the back of his pickup truck the entire way, <laughs> like in the fucking bed of the pickup truck, dude. Fuck. In the summer. It was fucking hot, you know, he's baking across the fucking country and like I'm sure that shit is illegal, man. (laughs) Yeah, totally, man. But this guy didn't care about any of that shit. He didn't care what was legal or not. He offered me this job right after I got home. I've been I had done maybe fifteen tattoos and, and I think we just he liked me, you know. And he needed somebody, so he called and asked my teacher if he could hire me. And my, my, my teacher was like, Well, I'm gonna go traveling anyway, so yeah, go for it. So I went down there to work for him and he put me in the shop by myself and I had to live, I lived above it in this room that was like one meter tall ceiling. <laughs> it was crazy, dude. It was pretty wild. And, um, I had to do piercings and all this shit. Yeah, it was crazy. Everybody at some point, I guess, went through, you know, the harder time or where you actually had to really sweat for your shit and, be, and watch your mouth and, you know, yeah. and I think that's definitely a lot of learning right there. Not necessarily, you know, tattooing, but on the other side, totally. I mean, how to behave. Yeah, you learn how to behave, you learn how to be humble, you, yeah, you, you learn a lot of lessons that I'm probably still, like, even today going, oh, oh, yeah, okay. But, yeah, I mean, that guy, that guy taught me a lot of shit, not, also not directly, but just by the way he was. I mean, he was, he was intense, man. He would call dudes from his other shops in, and he'd be yelling at him and punching the fucking counter right in front, of, like, not the counter, but the cabinet right by their face. He'd do some, like, Bruce Lee shit, you know, but be, like, two millimeters away from their face, punching stuff and yelling over nothing, like nothing. He made me learn piercing. Like I remember like the, how I learned piercing was, it was like my first day and this, this guy, he's like, okay, you're going to learn how to pierce. And he's like, okay, you do this and this. And he pierced this guy's tongue. He's like, okay, I'm out of here. Do whatever comes in. I'm like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> and then the first thing that comes in is some girl, she wants her nipple pierced. I'm like, oh boy, this sucks. I don't know how to do it really and i'm me and the me and the guy that rode all the way to california in the back of the truck are like in the back room going okay we're just gonna pretend we can we know what we're doing and we're in there and the girl takes off her shirt it's the most awkward thing in the world her nipple's not hard (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know how to make her nipple hard dude i'm just like uh uh, what do i do i didn't know i could just spray some alcohol on it it would get hard i'm like sitting there kind of twisting her nipple (laughs) And she's looking at me, and I'm thinking, like, fuck, this can't be it. But I don't know what to do. It worked out in the end. I mean, I, it was f- totally fucked up. But, but. Have you ever met, and again, any of these people of the times that you made a pierce of them? Never. 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 Thankfully, man. Never. Because the piercings were even worse than my tattoos, and my tattoos were really bad, dude. I definitely wasn't cut to be a piercer, man. That that I'm glad that only lasted for a couple months, you know? That sounds so awkward. It was super weird, dude. I mean, it was just, yeah, exactly. It was just awkward and, and like, I don't know. You know, but hey, like, look, that was uh, what I had to do to be there to tattoo because I wanted to learn more about tattooing. And um, at the time, you know, it wasn't maybe like today where some young people or not even young people, just people that are new to tattooing are like, oh, I want to, I won't work with this person because they don't inspire me or this or that. Back then you couldn't be that picky, man. Like I worked for people that were completely the opposite of what I thought people should be like. like I, I don't want to be too specific to be honest, but I worked in some pretty weird situations with, for some pretty wild people, man. And, um, that's just how it was and that's just how you had to do it i think at least from my experience in order to to get into tattooing and it was um it felt at the time like a thing that was a a lot bigger than myself and nowadays i feel like it it doesn't necessarily seem that way to a lot of people from the outside looking in i I can't make a judgment on their lives but Pressure makes diamond, I guess. Yeah, I think so. You know, pressure makes a diamond. Stuart Robson used to tell me if you eat enough shit, eventually you poop out a diamond. (laughs) 
And that's true. Hey, when I quit working for that guy Squirrely, he called me the N word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wild, man. Uh, it was it was interesting. He's like, "Get out of my shop! You're nothing but a Saginaw N-word." But <laughs> word. Then uh, I ended up in Alabama for a few years, and um, I worked at a street shop that was right outside of the projects. It was super super crazy busy. We'd maybe do sixty or seventy tattoos a week each. Couldn't go in the lobby without a gun on you because it was just hectic. A lot of crazy things happened there. I worked with some pretty wild people, man. There was this one guy, he would go out, and if, like, a foreign car would park in front of the shop, he'd pee on it. You know, there was just some pretty heavy heavy vibes there, man. Like, yeah. I, once again, like, there's a ton of stories, but they're ones I shouldn't tell publicly, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. And how was your family with this life that you chose at, at that time? The fact that you were keep moving in and working with this environment? So my, my mom died when I was a kid. And when she died, my dad and I, our relationship was already fairly rough, you know, like I was a typical 80, you know, 1980s and early 90s skateboarding punk rock kid who, you know, fucking hated his parents. And I, looking back, I probably didn't have any real reason to, but I thought I did at the time. And so when she passed away, my dad and I's relationship kind of wasn't much of, of, of a relationship at all. So, you know, my parents, like I, you know, when I would talk to him, like, I don't think he was too into what I was doing, but I, I didn't, I quit caring what my parents thought when I was a little kid, man. So I, um, I was doing my thing. I, I really was kind of not answering to anyone at all, except for whoever I ended up working for, you know, you know, I've been having all kinds of crazy jobs since I was a kid and you know so at this point i was just really thankful to be doing tattooing and so i believe i probably did and put up with more left myself in situations more that i probably wouldn't have if i hadn't worked in such other kind of stupid situations prior to that do you, do you know what i'm saying like yeah uh, of course of course you know so which is good i mean i think it's good it's character building you learn a lot it's definitely learning the hard way but that's okay yeah and um uh... Who were the people over this time, right, over these years that you were looking up to and, and even you wanted to meet or you tried or you did meet? You know, the people that at that time were, in your head at least, in your own opinion, leading the tattoo world and you really wanted to be kind of like that, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, back then, man, you really lived on magazines. I would buy every single tattoo magazine, you know, and I would, I would devour them, man, and I would look at them over and over and over and over and And it's kind of funny how, you know, back then there was such a wide variety of tattoos in these magazines, right? And some people knew what they were into right away. You know, I listened to interviews or talked to my friends and they knew. I didn't, you know, I liked, I liked so many different things. So, you know, I would get, I would get really excited to see like Guy Atchison stuff or, or like, um, I remember when Color Portraits first came around, I thought that shit was so cool and interesting and, um more new schooly kind of stuff too and, and uh, i liked it all man i really did I, i really was pretty into it all so i was just kind of stoked on everything you know that refined as time went by I, i i remember like my teacher getting the sailor jerry the blue book the flash book and i remember thinking like i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean which is kind of stupid looking back on it and then i remember this guy that was friends with the owner of the shop I worked at in Alabama, his name was Micro, and he had a, a sleeve and chest panel from Ed Hardy. And I remember like him showing me this thing and it was amazing. It was like a tiger with rocks, super simple. Like his whole chest was just one big black rock, you know, because that's the Ed did a cover up and he's like, yeah, look at this. It's just a fucking giant black rock. And I was like, man, it looks so tough. And then that was like right around the time that Tattooing the Invisible Man came out. And I got that book by accident. Actually, funnily enough, I was trying to order the Sailor Jerry Blue book off of Amazon because Amazon had just started and they sent me that the Tattooing the Invisible Man instead. That's a good deal. Yeah. And then I wrote them and I was like, yo, you sent me the wrong book. And they're like, okay, we're going to refund your money. Send us that back and then we'll send you the other one. And I was like, sure. And they refunded my money. And then sent me another book and never I never sent the other one back. I ended up with three copies of Tattooing the Invisible Man somehow back. for free. But anyway, once I got that book, man, I just read that and stared at it and looked at it. And that was it. It, it was like it became my Bible. You know, that was that was 
you know, there just wasn't any better in my mind. And then that kind of opened me up. Like if you looked at it like a, of a family tree of influence down, you know, and I started looking at all these other people that I think were kind of in that same umbrella. Right. And uh, yeah, so that that's what happened. And then I got tattooed by Ed Hardy and it changed my life. That's when you say you started sort of like channeling more into a traditional approach. Trying to. Yeah. I mean, because like working in Alabama, I mean, it was a street shop. It was a crazy busy street shop. And, um, you know, you never knew if you were going to be able to do something kind of cool. I ended up with a few clients that let me do things that were cool, but I, I was still flying blind. I, you know, I was drawing it as good as I could, but there was no real direct influence or direct help with anything. So um, basically, I think for the first four years that I tattooed, if I did something that was cool, it was purely out of luck, but rather than skill, I had no idea what I was doing, you know? But then I, a lot of crazy shit happened in Alabama. My wife, we got a divorce. I got, I left that shop and I moved to Ohio and, and just by a weird sense of circumstances, I ended up working at a shop with Greg Christian and, uh, this guy, Dave Wolf and a, and a few other guys that were really good. And, uh, man, they really changed my life. They opened my eyes to everything. Greg, it was such an amazing tattooer already. And, uh, he, you know, he, for some reason, decided to take an interest in making me a better tattooer and would tell me things I was doing were stupid or, you know, he'd just come in and be like, bro, that looks fucking dumb. Don't do that. I just, okay. And then, you know, anyway, so between that, getting tattooed by Ed and Ed made it a point to introduce me to Taki, who went by Horitaka at the time. You know, he he was writing a second book and Ed was like, hey, this guy's coming by on Friday. You should come here and meet him. So I came there and met Taki and Taki opened all these doors, man. He, he got me a job at American Graffiti in Sacramento, which was like kind of a very traditional tattoo shop at the time still. And um, I guess, you know, I don't know. I learned a, a fucking ton there and it just, you know, everything, everything happened. Those times in California were very, very prolific, like very yeah. alive like stuff with revolutionary people i guess yeah so mutual influences huh yeah it was crazy it, it was super crazy looking back i i think maybe i didn't maximize the potential i didn't go into san francisco and get tattooed as much as i should have that that's for sure but but you'd see so much crazy stuff and wrath was working at the shop then and he would just you know correct your drawings and school you on stuff the whole time and you know, I remember we, he drove with me from Ohio to California and the whole time he was just talking about technical things with tattooing, like quizzing me, like, which colors do you put in first? And then I'd, I'd say something and he'd be like, no, 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 you don't do that first because it'll, it'll pollute the other color and you do this and this and this. And I was just like, holy shit, you know, like I fucking learned 10 years of tattoo knowledge in a three day drive, you know, it was, it was insane, man. And there was all these rules in the shop, like you couldn't put script in a banner or you had to draw flames a certain way or you'd get fired. You know, there just was no fucking around, man. It was really cool. You learn a lot of uh, interesting things to base your, the way you do shit on, you know, as you grow and get, you know, more experience. I think you can break some of those rules, but I think it's really great to start out with them. That's for sure. That would be the proper definition of tattoo school. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, the real one is to go out and work and shut up and listen to what people that have been around longer than you or that are better than you have to say. Even if sometimes they're telling you something and in your head you're thinking, ah, that's fucking dumb or I've tried that and it doesn't work or whatever. Or I think when that guy does it, it sucks. You still shut up. You listen to it and you contemplate it. You know what I'm saying? It's better to just listen than to talk sometimes as I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> there is this thing I read somewhere which was which I tried to think about this a lot because I I do talk a lot and it says something like the fool talk the smart shuts up the wise listen and yeah I like, fuck I gotta remember that you know totally man yeah and uh, so and here you're still in the states when did the old world traveling thing took off ah uh, well I was at American Graffiti I mean that was one of the the main motivations going there. I had it really good in Cleveland. I, I was enjoying my life. I was learning a lot about tattooing. I was tattooing a lot. It was fun. But I knew that I would get the broader education by being in California. And I knew that I would also have more opportunities. So 
I knew that American Graffiti did a lot of conventions overseas and, and stuff like that. Because, you know, before the internet was really much of a thing and stuff, okay, so maybe I want to do a convention in fucking Spain. How the hell am I going to find out who runs this convention? I don't know anybody. I didn't know what to do. I mean, other people figured it out, so there was a way, but I wasn't smart enough to figure it out. So I, you know, I figured I had to go work at a shop that already had their foot in the door, right? So I'm at American Graffiti, and then that all happened, you know? Like, we were doing all these conventions in other countries, and you start making all these friends, and the next thing you know, you know, people are like, hey, you should come visit my shop. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to come to your shop, you know? And, and you go. And uh, I would just go and do a convention or two, stay an extra week or whatever, and work at somebody's shop or hang out with some friends. And... It just all snowballed from there, man. When I left American Graffiti, I decided I was just going to live out of my suitcase. This was 2005 and just travel. And I did it, I don't know how long I did it for, maybe six months or a year. And um, it was awesome. And then, uh, then I settled down in D.C. for a while because my daughter moved near there. And I worked at Tattoo Paradise. And I worked there, you know. But I was always gone. I mean, every weekend or, you know, sometimes for weeks, I'd, I'd take off or go somewhere and work. And it was fun, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, what I know, you might be possibly the guy that traveled the most because you've been, it's a very trivia sort of question, but like you've been to how many countries that you um, might count? I, I think it's like 79 or 80 or maybe 81 countries. And yeah, I've tattooed on every continent except Antarctica. Missed doing that one first, but whatever. Is and that in the list? What's that? Is yeah, that in the list still. Definitely, definitely. You know, I I wish I would have done it before, but I'm not I'm not much of a competitive person, so I I guess I didn't really think about being the first guy to do it until after Lyle did it, and then I was like, oh shit, I could have done it first. <laughs> but anyway, but whatever. Eventually, yes, I would like to go and do it, but I, I don't know when that'll be. And I, I got it in my head. The only way I want to tattoo there is if somebody from there, like on a base or something, wants to get tattooed. You know what I mean? I don't want to bring a friend over and tattoo them. I want to. Yeah, yeah, of course. I want to have gotten paid for doing tattoos on every continent. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the most traveled tattooer. I know a lot of guys that are going for it, like Davey Blows. He's, he's been traveling nonstop for years now. But I, I have been to a lot of countries, man, and a lot of those, like, I've been to a lot. Like, I've been to Australia 50 times. Or same thing with, like, England or Rome. I've been there probably 30 times, you know? And um, I miss that a lot. But I also am pretty stoked to have my own spot here, you know? Yeah, I guess you know, it's all about balance, I guess. You do a bit of this, a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I mean, you know, life's long, but it's also short. So you're doing whatever you can. I mean, you know, like guys like Hanky Panky and Permanent Mark, those guys traveled a lot, man. Theo Jack, you know, I wonder sometimes if they've been to more places than I have or done crazier shit. You know, I know they've done crazier shit. That's for sure. Those guys. Are, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These guys are pirates, man. And yeah. uh, definitely. And uh, what would you say? Obviously, you know, too many things to remember and to name, you know, but what would you say are your let's say favorite spots or favorite shops or people you got over there that you know, obviously, if you keep going back to the same places, there is a reason. But, you know, something that you really bring with you, even there are too many to mention. But Yeah, there's so many, man. I mean, um, you know, as far as traveling without tattooing goes, some of my favorite spots. I loved Egypt, you know, and I, I liked Syria a lot before the war. Damascus was such an amazing place. Really great people. I like the Middle East a lot, like, you know, Lebanon and Jordan and all that. Really, really, really cool. And um, traveling through Asia was always great. You know, I've been to most of those countries there. I went to North Korea even, and that was pretty interesting, you know. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, being there. It's a fucked up place, but at the same time, like, people I did meet, even though I know it's all fake, it was really cool, interesting thing. As far as tattooing goes, man, there's so many to mention. I mean, it, it's 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 crazy. Like, you know, I used to love going to Australia, working in at Chapel Tattoo in Melbourne and Hunter and Fox in Sydney. I mean, there's several shops. I worked at a lot in Australia, man. And I loved all my customers there so much. But then I had some immigration issues there. And uh, tattooers don't always do things legally. <laughs> and that's like a big 
part of the reason I settled down was because it, it occurred to me, you know, I'm going to all these countries and working and, and it's awesome. And that's where all my clientele is. But what happens if I can't go to them at all anymore? <laughs> yeah. You know, what I mean? Australia so much as probably, you know, three quarters of my yearly income came from Australia and then it was gone. So it makes you rethink a lot of shit. So anyway, I go there a lot. I don't know. Um, you know, I love working at Grim Reaper in uh, Rome. Um, Used to work at First Street in London. Fuck, Three Tides in Japan. Hello in Taipei. So many shops, bro. I'd take up the whole podcast list in shops. <laughs> you, know, you know what? The cool thing is, at least that, that's my own experience. Every place is beautiful in its own way and you can't compare. It's like people. And it's so cool that you look forward to, to meet or go back or try. or They all are unique, you know, because of the identity of the country, the attitude of people, the way they talk, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, man, that was, you know, looking back at it all, right, the main reason that I was traveling so much was that I had all these friends in these different places that I would miss and I'd want to go see them. So that was always like time to go see these people or whatever. Then I would just get there and work the whole time and not even hang out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But whatever. I mean, you know, you're still seeing people. It's still cool. It's still... It's still uh, worth the time and everything, and it, it was pretty awesome. I, I wish I had more to say about it. Sometimes it's hard to put in words, you know? It is, dude. It really is. You know, I was telling my wife that this morning. I'm like, you know, I'm t I was like, man, I, I'm really, really nervous about doing this podcast because I feel like I have had a boring life in a way as far as for an outside observer to hear about it. It's been quite exciting for me and really interesting and stimulating and stuff. But I don't know what, what kind of impression it'll give to other people. You know? Yeah, you know, like sometimes, as I said, it's hard to put into words because it's your own perception of it. But I'm sure, especially when you've done so much traveling, it's really about not necessarily, oh, the tattoo or the event. But, you know, you could, I'm, I'm sure that you have things in you where, oh, yeah, I was in Korea or I was in Sudan. And then I met this woman, which I saw the family. And then they said this thing. And I was like, well, yeah. you know, you putting yourself in contact with realities that, are so far away from, from yours, or even seeing and experiencing the way of life of other people. The main thing about tattooing stuff is the pictures are great, right? But the people are really, really fucking awesome. You know, the people you meet along the way, that no matter how fucking shitty some of them might be, that's in the end, your big achievement as a tattooer. You don't have the people, what you just tattooed yourself? What, you, what story do you have? What kind of bigger picture is there, you know? So it's important. You know Bugsy? Yeah, I used to work with him in, in uh, Fox Body Art. And I remember he said uh, this one day. He was like, you know, when you're going to be old, you're not going to remember the tattoo you did. You're going to remember the person. Yeah. Right? And that gives you a lot of perspective, especially for the younger generation of tattooers. Not necessarily because there is something inherently bad or they're lacking. It's just that sometimes when you don't go through, like we said, certain process of you know, hardships or whatever, you don't develop that because you have everything so easy from the start that maybe you forget to focus on the fact that it's not about you, yeah. you know? And that's really the thing that I often think without, you know, disrespecting tattooing itself, that sometimes when, you, when I talk to people that have a lot of experience in the business and, and they're quite accomplished and stuff, they all often have something in common where, at least that's how I perceive, I might be wrong, but I perceive that in these long and full lives, tattoo has been just a vehicle, you know, a beautiful one, but a vehicle for them to make very interesting and deep friendships, you know, with no barrier of distance to experience because we meet people from all walks of life. You know, you, you, I'm sure you have met some murderers and you met lawyers and you met rich people and, you know, uh, so you, you get to see such a display of people, you know, life in all the taste and flavors and colors, you know, so that's tattooing. It was your vehicle to actually live a full life. Yeah. Dude, completely, completely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're the ultimate traveler without actually even going anywhere in a way. I mean, you're right. When you said that about meeting all these different kinds of people, it just made, it reminded me of this dude. I, I used to tattoo this hitman guy and like this Fijian hitman dude. And he definitely like killed a lot of dudes. <laughs> He's dead now. But um he just wanted to talk about He-Man toys and like cartoons. That's like his favorite shit. You know, this dude was fucking cold blooded, man. But like we, we, we talked about how cool Castle Grayskull was, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. just, like, 
you know, people are just people, man. And, and it's, it's fucking awesome, you know? Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm not, I'm not dying going, man, I did this like really fucking neat panther one day. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you're right. You're not thinking about that. It's different. Yeah. You know? You're going to think about the people. And uh, regarding your tattooing, how would you, how do you think your tattooing changed over the last 10 years? You see it now and you think back and you're like, oh, you know, you can see a, prog- a pattern. You can see a sort of an evolution. How, how do you think that your tattoo changed in the last 10 years? Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes I look at it and I think it's changed a lot. Sometimes I look back at old photos and I don't think it's changed much. In a weird way, I feel like I get lucky and it turns out better more. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't necessarily know that I know what I'm doing all the time. Uh, you know, sometimes, man, you're doing this tattoo or you're making this drawing and you're, you ever get that anxiety of like, fuck, looks like something I would have drawn when I really had no idea what I was doing at all. Like, and you're bummed. You're like, fuck. And then one reason or another, you end up doing it and then you get done with it. And you're like, wow, that turned out, that turned out all right. How did I do that? You know, honestly, looking back at it all, I'm like, I really don't know, bro. (laughs) (laughs) When I try and think about that, I'm like, I guess if anything now, you know, 10 years ago, I left New York adorned and I started just traveling and I really have barely stopped at any shops for any period of time since then until I've had this shop. I, I worked in at Rock of Ages and um, done a lot of guest spots, but still did a lot of walk-ins, right? Did a whole lot of variety of different kinds of tattooing. So if anything, that's the major thing that I can see in my own work is that I've been able to focus more on whatever it is people think I do. And I say that because I haven't presented to the world, this is what I do. These aren't, these are my like four kinds of style subjects or whatever that a lot of people that tend to specialize seem to do, you know, even if that's like a vague thing, like I do Japanese or I just do traditional or whatever. I I still do whatever people ask me for, but they tend to ask me for whatever they think it is that I do. You don't make your style. Right, right. I mean, I don't know if I, if like everything got, if like the collective memory of everyone got erased and people did come to me still to ask for a tattoo, but it was whatever I wanted it to be. I would have no idea what to do, bro. Yeah. I, I really wouldn't. I, I, sometimes people do ask you and you're like, can you just pick something? Cause like, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not as fortunate as those dudes that just have all these ideas. I'm always really worried that the client's going to like it. And I think yeah. there's something about like, you kind of can't, if you're like, just going to go for it on people, like you kind of can't really give a shit if they, they like it or not. And I, I haven't been able to get myself there. Maybe I care too much about yeah. that. You know, I don't know if you remember that. I remember, I think it was like 10 years ago or something. I saw this thing on YouTube, which I can't remember the name. There was something either with road or, and was this Italian dude. They yeah. made this series of going to the States and get a sleeve out of single individual pieces, all yeah. traditional. And there was an episode with you. One, I think, one was at the affiliate, um, um, I think it was Steve Boltz or Simon Earl. Yeah, um, yeah. You remember, how was that? Uh, it, was, it was great, man. You know, it's funny, that thing has come up so much since that happened. I've gotten a ton of clients from it, and I almost didn't do it. Because I was like, I had gotten in some crazy fight with my kid's mom that day. I was in the shittiest mood of ever. And I was like, I don't want to do this, man. Like, I, I think I, you know, I was really thinking I was just going to cancel it, right? And then I felt very like, okay, these guys came from far away. I need to do this. And uh, we had this conversation. And, and the whole time I thought, man, I'm going to sound like a fucking asshole when this comes out. Nobody's going to ever get tattooed by me. Blah, blah, blah. And somehow, oh, I've gotten a lot of clients from it. I don't know that it's necessarily because of whatever it is I did or said. I think it's just the project itself was really cool. And people remember that guy doing that, you know, and being part of it worked out for me. You know, same way like magazines, you'd see coverage of some convention or something. And you just kind of automatically thought every photo from that thing was people that mattered or, or something. You know, I don't know if that's what it is or not. But man, I feel really lucky for that. I really remember like those guys being super cool, really nice guys. And I think being able to pull me out of my shitty mood by the end of it. How has it been now that you've been quarantined? 
Yeah, like you had you had more time for paint. How old are your kids? My daughter is 20. She just turned 20 on the 16th of March. Okay, so pretty independent. Yeah, oh yeah. She lives she lives far away anyway, man. She lives in Maine, which is I don't know, like 20 hour drive from here or something. So yeah, no, I mean honestly, I know a lot of people are struggling with the quarantine. It's been hard on on most, I think, and so I feel kind of guilty for saying it, but I've actually enjoyed it a lot. As much as we talked a lot about how the people matter and all this kind of stuff and the the, the personal interactions of tattooing, I'm not the most people person. I'm not good with that. So not being around people at all, really, other than my wife for the last like two months is I kind of haven't really noticed. <laughs> 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 her and I were talking about that like you know and I spend most of the day up at my art studio and she stays at home working on her art projects and and uh we're often kind of like fuck we got to remember that we're not around people really you know I miss the guys from my shop and I miss my friends all around the world obviously but I also kind of forget a lot you know I'm just up here in my own little world you know yeah so your wife your wife has uh, her art projects as well do you guys cross sometimes or how, no how, how does that no she's she's making jewelry she's starting to make jewelry this is a new thing for her okay. so she just started since all of this has happened she's carving wax molds for rings and stuff so hopefully um once we can get back to where we have enough money to get them cast then those will be available they're looking really cool she's she's gonna make some really interesting stuff And, you know, as time goes on, it'd be cool to do something together. Um, but she's pretty new at it. And I don't want to like, hey, let's do something together. You know, like she's got to explore it on her own, you know, and she's doing really good with it. It's, it's pretty impressive how quickly she's kind of caught on to it. So um, it's exciting. But um, I mean, you know, eventually I would love to do something with my wife like that. It'd be cool. And uh, is there something that you look in, it's like in the back of your head that you or you have a project for the future? Or something you would like you've been looking forward to try well before this quarantine started i talked with uh, this guy zach nelligan he's been putting out books now he did one with paul doberman one with tony blue arms recently and uh, i'm doing the third one and it's like a 55 inch by seven inch paintings on a subject like a theme kind of thing and uh i'm going to do mine it's uh 50 animal heads so i did a set of flash of that and i really enjoyed it and i did it with colored pencils and i thought man this would be really fun and hopefully more interesting to do with paint and with the book there's going to be a seven inch record of all the noises of all the animals that oh, i nice. but i made it with my my mouth And I, <laughs> I didn't research what any of them sound like in real life. So it's just my imagination. Same thing with the drawings. I, I drew them out of my head. I didn't look at anything. So some of them don't look anything like they really look, but I don't care. Nice. Reality nice. for your day-to-day -day life, like I think art should be created from your imagination. I respect realistic things, but I have a hard time caring about them because they already exist. I want to see what's from the imagination of people, right? So for me, it's like, if I'm drawing all these animals, well, why would I draw them from real life? I don't care about that. You know, I, I, like I say, I respect the people that do, and I, I enjoy looking at them as well, but I just, for my own personal thing, I don't question. Yeah, so anyway, the same thing went to this, this record. So right before all this, I flew to DC, and uh, my, my friend Billy Bennett, And my friend Dave Cavalcante, we went to Billy's house and uh, he, he used to, or he, I guess he is still a pretty, pretty big DJ guy. And he's an awesome tattooer. We taught him to tattoo at Tattoo Paradise. But we spent the day recording these, this uh, thing called Animal Songs. And um, it's 50 different animals. It's just my voice, a Tibetan singing bowl, a bowl of water, a maraca, and um, a fishing lure. <laughs> That sounds awesome. It's insane, dude. Uh, if I do say so myself, it's pretty crazy. I can't wait for people to hear it. It's super fucking weird. You know, right now, a lot of like the record pressing plants are closed and printing places. So I hope it actually happens. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, just, just going to be delayed a little, but you, know, yeah. if, but, you know. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. So that's the main thing. Like, I mean, I've been painting a lot. I've been really lucky that a lot of people have wanted commissions and I hope they keep coming. So I've been doing that. I've 
you know, making some shirt designs for different restaurants around town for when they come back and stuff like that, too. And I've been having a lot of fun, bro. And right now we're like repainting the shop. I'm going to paint the floor of the shop and, and do some shit like that. Like my shop's full of stuff. There's nowhere for your eyes to relax at all. And I, I just want it to look crazier when people come back to it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I probably should have tried to get fit during this day. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't do it all. Yeah. And do you find that, you know, because you've been doing this project with the animal heads, do you find that when you have one specific coherent idea, it helps you or not? Because, for example, for me, it helps when I have one thing. And even if you know, oh, I have to do 50 paintings is a lot. But I know that direction is that. I just keep going. Some other people, some friends of mine, their head is all over the place. So they get bored if they do the same thing twice, you know. Well, I do get kind of bored doing the same thing twice. The things with the animal heads is I approached the the ones for the book the same way as I did the ones for the flash where I gave myself one minute to draw each one. Oh, cool. So from the top of my head, no reference, one minute, quick drawing, and then I can refine that drawing. But it's more interesting because it, you're working with whatever just happened right there. You're not overthinking it. You know, I, I think when you give yourself a lot of time to overthink things, it's like just swimming in the kiddie pool, you know, I, yeah. I, I think, um, I think it's important to just kind of to go for it. I guess they would call it like an automatic drawing, I guess. Yeah. You know? Some of the designs I'm most happy with, we're on a schedule. Yeah, totally, yeah. man. It's the same. Even when I have appointments for tattooing, I typically don't draw them until that day. For better or worse, sometimes the customer, I, I feel like I'm a bit notorious for making people wait for a long time to get tattooed. But it's because I'm drawing it then, you know, I want the, the moment to inspire the drawing as best I can, you know. I think like if I drew it overnight or I spent all this time, you know, you could argue maybe it'd be a better drawing, but also then you like look at it and you want to change it and you want to, you, you draw the life out of it, you know, and I, I'm not really into that. You yeah, that I mean? energy. And uh, let me ask you, can you think about one advice that is being given to you or something that happened to you that made you, you know, understand or a lesson you learned that you keep going back to and like, oh yeah, that thing helped me a lot of times. Man, um, there's a lot of them, dude. <laughs> um, and of course, when you ask me, I'm blanking on all of them. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to come up, you know, but yeah. sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I, that I, one, man. Okay, so, you know, I just said how, you know, I like the spontaneity of drawing in the moment and all this and that. But then I also hear, I remember one of the first times I worked at Frith Street with uh, Thomas Super, and he said something to me about a drawing he was just like you know we want it to look nice don't we <laughs> and sometimes when things aren't looking so nice i i hear his like you want it to i can't do his fucking accent at all so i'm not going to try but i hear his like english voice in my head about uh you know trying to make it look nice and, and i think like okay yeah you know chill out sometimes the energy that i brought to the initial drawing isn't always the one that you want to have in the end but um there was that. Uh, my teacher told me when I, you know, the reason I went to Ohio to work with that guy Squirrely was because my teacher told me that if people invite you to come, you should go. And uh, I've tried to live by that one for the longest time until it became too much. But, you know, if, if people invite you to come work at their shop, I went. And that's how all this entire world has opened up and happened for me, you know. So those were two pretty good pieces of advice. Um, you know, my teacher always used to say, also, if people passed out, you should take their shoes and their wallet because you got to get. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, fucking hour from now, I'm going to remember all kinds of cool advice and be like, I should have said that. Yeah. You know, but those are some some ones from there. How about you? That, what piece of advice, dude? I want to know. Uh, man, I really like uh, one thing that this is actually from a book, not really from from a from a life thing, but I really like the motto of the obstacle is the way, you know, yeah. because it helped me so much in the sense that every time I'm doing something, if you flip that thing and look at it from another angle, it's actually an advantage. And for example, with the projects that I've been doing, you know, there is always something that goes wrong, always, you know, and it doesn't matter what that is, you know, what I, the way I try to look at that thing is, okay, it doesn't matter what it is. Oh, but what if this guy could, it doesn't matter. I see just as a, as one of the obstacles that was going to be there no matter what. There's going to be a certain number of obstacles in this journey, you know? So yeah. in that way, you don't 
freak out too much on how things should be in your mind. Oh, this guy shouldn't have done this. Or should have done that. He was right to do it is not. You see almost like an inanimate object, just an obstacle, and you're like, okay, I know that to this project, I'm going to have to put in top 30 extra hours. What for? It doesn't matter, for something. you know. And then when it comes, like, oh, that was my bag of extra hours that I already saved. doesn't matter what it is. You know? So it, it helps you, like, relax and not stress about shit, you know? Okay. Because it kind of, like, becomes, becomes objective rather than subjective, you know? You get detached, so it's easier to process instead of getting upset. Because you can always make excuses or, oh, it should have been, it shouldn't have, it should, you know, you always have like an ideal situation, you know. I have like an extra bag of energy and hours that I save for the thing that you haven't seen coming, you know. So when it comes like, oh, I'm ready, you know. No, totally, man. Like, um, have you ever read that book, The Hagakure? No. It's like a book of samurai quotes, right? Like uh, Forrest Whitaker was reading them off in that movie Ghost Dog. It's full of amazing quotes. And one of them, like, you got to think of it all metaphorically, right? But one of them is about how, like, you know, a samurai would meditate on his death daily, like getting killed by arrows or fucking swords or fire or falling off a cliff or whatever. So then when it comes, he's not afraid of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're ready to just go for it. And it's kind of similar to what you're saying. If you think about all those things, but not becoming preoccupied by them, but knowing that things can go wrong, things can go bad, blah, blah, blah. You're not afraid of it and you're ready to just go for it. You know, I, I, the, that book, the Hagakure, the book, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran and the song, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. I think those are the three things you need to have to know how to live, man. Nice. To put in your travel bag. That's it, dude. Just for your life, you give a little kid those and they'll be fine. Nice. <laughs> and let me ask you one last thing. If you somehow could go back and talk to yourself when you were, when this whole journey before this started, right? You were like 14, 15 or something. And with the things that you know now, yeah. you could give yourself an advice. What would that be? Um, maybe... Man, without being too specific, <laughs> um, I, I would say, you know, think, think about the future a little bit more. Um, prepare for the future a little bit more. Live, live for now, but always be preparing for the future. Because uh, I did a lot of not really thinking about the future, and, and there's definitely a lot of um, issues that have arisen, whether it's my health or financial or emotional um, things that I didn't, did not take the time to care about at all in the, in the process. And as time goes by, you definitely suffer those consequences a little more than you really need to have if you just took a minute to slow down and, and think about that. Nice. Chad, thank you very much. It was such a nice talk, man. You had like a few gems in there which made me think. I'll think thank about those. I appreciate it, man. I, I always think I don't have shit to say, so it means a lot that you'd want to hear whatever it is. No, man, of course, it's a privilege. And, you know, as I said, I used to watch those documentary on YouTube and read on magazines, and now we're here talking, you know, so for me, that's all, you know, it's gold. Oh, man, thank you. It's a huge privilege for me, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you again, and maybe we can share a meal somewhere. Yeah, man, hopefully. You know, I'm in Europe all over the place, so next time you come back, I'll track you down. Definitely, dude. It'll be fun.